Hey everyone, I want you to stop before you continue any further and listen to this podcast. And I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to Instagram at Revolutionaries Pod and follow us on Instagram. We're on Instagram now. Also, go to Facebook, the Revolutionaries Podcast, or at Revolutionaries Pod, and also like us on Facebook. We're going to be doing all sorts of great stuff there. It's a place you can connect with us. You can get information about upcoming episodes of the Revolutionaries Podcast. You can ask questions, and we're even going to be doing some things exclusively on social media that will not inherently be streamed on the podcast. So make sure you connect with us. Also, go invite a friend to like the page on Facebook, tell a friend about our Instagram, get connected with us. All sorts of great stuff is coming up. So make sure that you get connected with us on social media. We can't wait to connect with you. We can't wait to engage with you. So make sure you go ahead, go to Instagram, go to Facebook, connect with us there. Now get ready for an awesome podcast today. This is the Revolutionaries Podcast. Real and raw discussions on relevant issues for a revolutionary generation. Here's your host, Joshua Gay. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Revolutionaries Podcast. It is good to be back behind this microphone once again. Uh, And thank you for downloading. Thank you for subscribing. Go ahead and leave that five-star review uh, if you've enjoyed this already. And take it a step further uh, and even write a review and it really helps us out tremendously. So just do us a favor. Please do that. It uh, helps the podcast, helps us spread the word. We've been gone for a long time. I just wanted to, before we get into our discussion today, kind of let you know what's been going on and then also the plan going forward. Our last episode was kind of towards the end of October of 2020. It was around that same time that my wife and I had a gathering at our house of some uh, friends and family. We kind of let our guards down for a moment. And one of the attendees uh, unknowingly had COVID and was in attendance, and my wife ended up getting COVID, and uh, she tested positive. I ended up getting sick uh, and had COVID as well. We recovered. Our symptoms were very mild, but it did put us out kind of for a little bit. Then obviously just kind of life happened and, and craziness of our church and good things, but it was very busy. Uh, and then obviously the Christmas season, at Christmas, I fell uh, really hard, busted my ribs, uh, still recovering over two weeks later, still not at 100%. But we're back now, and uh, the plan going forward is that we're probably going to have a podcast every other week. So every other week, there'll be a new episode of the Revolutionaries podcast. Already have some great things lined up, and I know you're going to be blessed and enjoy it. It's going to be enlightening. Uh, and probably at times entertaining, Uh, but really excited about the future, excited about what's coming up, excited about this discussion that we're going to have in just a moment with my good friend, Pastor Casey Doss, and also another dear, dear friend, Reed Harris. And we're going to talk just kind of about what's going on uh, in the world right now, what's been going on since we've been, uh, since we haven't had a podcast. As most of you know, a lot has happened in the last 10 to 12 weeks. So we've got a lot to talk about, a lot to cover, and it's going to be great. So stay right here. Coming up after this break, we're going to get into this discussion. It's going to be awesome. Stay tuned. Love you. Send this to somebody, and it'll be a blessing to them. Finally, your website is the easiest part of your week. 
Faith Made provides move in ready websites that turn strangers into visitors without the hassle and frustration of DIY solutions and without the cost of a custom solution. Listen, it's incredible, and you can get started in four easy steps. One, go to faithmade.com and sign up for an account. Two, choose your onboarding path. Three, customize your website. And four, connect your domain. It really is that simple. Pro tip, they'll even build your website for you to get you up and running in a week at no additional cost. That's right, no additional cost at all to get you up and running. We are in the process of migrating our site over to FaithMade right now, and it is absolutely amazing. And I wanted to share this with you, you pastors, you leaders out there that are listening, because it is such an incredible solution that you need to check out for sure. Plans start at just $37 a month. But for our listeners of this podcast, you can use the code REV, that's R-E-V, REV, after your free trial to get $10 a month off of your subscription. That's $120 a year in savings when you go to faithmade.com and sign up using the keyword REV, R-E-V. Listen, FaithMade is incredible. They are going to give you a top-notch professional website that to everyone else looks like you spent thousands of dollars to get this kind of quality. But the reality is you spent way less. This is an incredible deal. If you're a pastor, if you're a ministry leader, I want you to go right now, go check out faithmade.com and make sure that you use that promo code REV, R-E-V. All right, everybody, welcome to the discussion today. This is going to be really good. Uh, We have back once again to dear, dear friends, Pastor Casey Doss from Hope Unlimited Church in Knoxville, Tennessee, and also uh, my good friend, Reed Harris, known to some as Maximus. Uh, He attends my church in the Orlando area. We've been friends for 24 years or something like that, long time, the majority of both of our lives. Uh, We did a podcast earlier this year on conspiracy theories, fake news, and the church. And uh, if you haven't been paying attention over the past 10 weeks, we have seen a ratcheting up of a lot of that. And uh, we're going to talk kind of, we're just going to kind of jump in and let it flow today. I told them before we even started recording Normally, I come into these podcasts with a lot of notes and and you know topics and and things we really want to to uh, go really deep into. But we're going to be just a little more off the cuff today and just kind of retrace what's been going on and what it means for the church. And uh, you know, I really do believe this, and this is probably going to be if there's one one thread that you're going to see coming through this entire discussion today. It's this: I believe that a lot of what is happening, that the Lord is going to use it to bring a purification and to bring some purging uh, in the body of Christ with everything that is going on. But before we we, we dig in too deep, welcome, Casey. Welcome, Reed. Glad to have you guys on today. Hey, brother. Thanks for having us, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, man. It's always a, always a pleasure. Yeah, it's going to be good. So let's kind of trace back. So uh, 
the last time that actually the very last podcast that we did, Casey, the very last Revolutionaries podcast released before this one was me and you, and we were talking about Jesus and politics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I didn't even really know, you know, we were obviously we were coming to election season and all of this, but man, that discussion was more needed than I even thought it was. Uh, yeah, for sure. And I think over the past over the past couple of weeks, we've kind of seen that. So, to once again trace back a little bit, let's let's go back. For anyone who's been living under a rock, uh, in the Christian circles that we all flow in, you know, charismatic, prophetic, apostolic, Pentecostal circles, there has been a lot of talk about the twenty twenty election, which there is about every election. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but every four years I hear this statement made. This is the most important election of our lifetimes. Every four years it's made. And it was made again in 2020. And there were numerous books written about uh, about Trump winning a second term. There were numerous prophetic words about Trump winning a second term. And then... The election happened. Right. And in the election, Trump did not win a second term. And I want everyone to be clear. What I'm saying and what we're going to talk about throughout this is not some sort of condemnation because, you know, we hate Donald Trump or we're leftist or we're whatever. So please do not try to attach those labels to us. These are just some factual things. Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, did not win re-election. As a matter of fact, they tried to challenge it. I heard the statement made over and over and over and over again in the shadow of the election, believe the prophets, believe the prophets, believe the prophets, believe the prophets. And if I heard it once, I heard it 500 times. And just frankly, uh, we saw through the court system, I think 62, 63, something like that, court cases, that were thrown out uh, where they said there was no fraud, there was no widespread fraud, it didn't happen, the narratives were not real, and the reality is this, he lost. And the prophets that prophesied that Trump would win were wrong. Period. That's I'm not throwing stones at them. We've all missed it. It's okay to, to, to be wrong. But what is not okay is to rise up in arrogance and refuse to admit that you were wrong. So, guys, before we even get, because trust me, we're going to get, we're going to talk about January 6th. We're going to talk about the siege on the Capitol. We're going to talk about all of that. Before we get there, guys, how did we get to this point that we were just kind of in the shadow of the election? Like, what's going on? I'll let Maximus go first on that one. Oh, we're just gonna we're just gonna go right out I, I the was gate. Gonna, I was gonna defer to you, Casey. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think that's a simple question. I think that that's something that the three of us and and other uh, people that we communicate with uh, on a frequent basis that we've been looking at this and seeing this evolve and transpire for many many months now. Um, uh, up to even a few years for me. Um, I mean, I've been following a lot of this 
uh, Q conspiracy stuff and this other stuff for a long time. Um, so the, the, the question of how we got here is a very complicated question. And, and, and I think there's a, a certainly an aspect of that. All of us are tired. <laughs> we, we, we've been watching this unfold for a long time, like a, yes. like a freight train. And, and it's now that we're finally at the moment, um, it, uh, it's unsettling and it, it's frustrating. And so trying to find out how to navigate through this um, and how not to just stay where we are, but proceed through it and get on the other side seems difficult at the moment. Um, but uh, I mean, uh, there are a conglomerate uh, number of reasons as to why we got to the place where we are now. And I mean, literally it goes back decades and we can talk about all sorts of different um, prior movements and prior events and, and um, prior streams of various aspects of American Christianity. Um, and all of this culminates to, to, to where we are. Um, but at the more immediate level, we do have the, the, the preceding immediate months and um, and it just has become a frenzy. And at times it's hard to even really know how to, how, how you want to think and process and address things like this, because, um, we, we see a lot of the stuff that gets passed around on social media of stuff. That's just ludicrous. Um, these things that Trump is issuing, um, all of these tribunals and that vice president Pence needs to be executed and, and all sorts of stuff that, that hold on. Let's, let's, let's pause there for one moment and let's be clear that those things about the vice president needing to be executed were coming from someone inside of the white house. That is how bonkers things have become that Someone inside the White House has publicly stated more than once that the vice president of the United States needs to go before a firing squad. Right. And I don't even know how to follow a statement like that. Um, we are in uncharted waters. These are very strange happenings. And so, like, I mean, these sorts of crazy, I mean, the internet's always had pockets of radicalism and just insane stuff. And it really sure. never really meant all that much. Um, and so it was easy to just ignore it. And in the past year, as, um, as I've seen the stuff develop, as I saw where this was heading um, and try to do different manner, different things of trying to mitigate against it or try to fight back against it and things like that. Um, sometimes you would hear from people that would say things like, well, you know, you're just focusing on the negative. Don't worry about that. Um, they're all just crazy and, you know, it'll just fizzle out. Um, and the problem is, is that didn't happen. Instead, what happened is, is a bunch of people rushed the Capitol five days ago. And they set up crosses and they set up guillotines 
and they set up gallows in front of the Capitol. Um, we suffered a domestic terrorist attack on Wednesday at the Capitol. This information is hard to process. It's, it's, we've entered an age where um, things are moving so rapidly that we forget the things that happened just the day before. And so it bears repeating 10,000 times that an attack happened on the Capitol this week. And it was led primarily by Christian conservatives. And that's horrifying because I think, to various degrees, all three of us would identify as Christian conservatives. And even if we didn't, I mean, that's fine. But this movement is a movement that all three of us throughout our lives have identified with. And now looking at where it has landed is horrifying. People are dead. And um, and to the present moment, there are still a lot of Christian leaders who have still refused to back off of this stuff. Um, conspiracies are still proliferating, thinking uh, people are saying things like that the attack on Wednesday was Antifa without evidence. People are saying all sorts of stuff. People say things every day. And so, again, like it was only, what, two or three weeks ago that uh, a truck blew up in Nashville. That was another terrorist attack um, right. that we've all already forgotten because something's already moved. Um, for the past two months leading up to the election, we heard that um, Donald Trump would win. Uh, the prophets uh, prophesied that he would win. Q was doing their prophecies that he would win and execute the Democrats um, and rally, uh, corral all the pedophiles together and kill all of them and the Satanists. At times, it's hard to even keep my mind wrapped around the things I'm saying because this stuff is so ludicrous, and yet so many people believe this stuff. And so it has to be talked about. Um, so, you know, two months ago, Trump was going to win. Everyone knew it. Um, Trump didn't win. And then it was, oh, well, fraud happened and there's going to be recounts and the recounts will prove it. And then when that didn't do it, it was going to be that the courts were going to decide. And this is why, um, a new Supreme court justice Amy, was. Yeah. A Amy, Amy Coney Barrett was exactly. Esther raised up for such a time as this. Exactly. Thus saith the Lord. Right. And, and exactly. And it's thus saith the Lord. So it's not even just people saying like speculating scenarios, um, right, right, right. It is it is leaders continually issuing prophecies and continually saying how things are going to happen. And then in a couple days when that does not happen and when all of us know that's not what's going to happen, well, it doesn't stop them. A couple days later, they're going to issue another false prophecy. And it repeats over and over and over. And again, like on one hand, it would almost be like saying, well, I mean, whatever, there's always people just saying random stuff. There's always false prophets. There's always people lying. There's always people being wrong. Um, and so if that's the argument, then you can argue, well, just ignore all of it and let's focus on the stuff we need to focus on. But again, the problem is, is we're not really in that moment anymore because a literal domestic terrorist attack happened on Wednesday. And again, a large portion of the people there are people that, are led by people that we all know they were led to this position by people that, that we see on Facebook and that by some of us actually personally know some of these people. 
And um, it is a very, again, just very hard thing to process um, of the moment that we're in. And again, to the present moment where we've all seen them in the last 24 hours, where we've seen um, tweets from Parler or from other backwood corners of the internet of that um, Trump arrested the Pope today. And that, again, all of this worldwide. And and Nancy Pelosi. And, yes. The, the centi- and the president of Italy or France or and, some European And nation. depending upon which person you see in parlor, Pence is either part of it or not part of it. Um, I mean, again, all of this stuff is, is ludicrous. But the problem is, is we all get dozens and dozens of messages, you know, over the span of a few days where people are like, this sounds crazy. Like, and we have to keep going. This is fake. Like, this is fake. Stop getting, just stop. Stop sharing this stuff. And people keep doing it. And um, it's really sad because we've reached this place within our culture to where um, if any if any person attaches any sort of aspect of the prophetic or of God to some crazy video, well, then people spread it all over the place and think it's real. Um, and, and all the while, the church's actual witness in the country has completely evaporated and completely fallen apart. Um, and again, it's sort of, um, we're, we're not even in the stage to do a postmortem. So we're not even past this yet so that we can, from outside, reflect back, look back, and make adjustments. We're not right. even still we're, ongoing. It's still ongoing. And, and and it's it's just hard to know where exactly to um to go next and and, and how this all needs to be addressed uh, other than just to say that a large large portion of the church is culpable for this. And and we can't ignore that. We have to own that. We have to own what happened. Um and if we don't own it, then we're not going to learn anything from this, and it's just going to get worse. This stuff has to be entirely repudiated, entirely. And and up to the present moment, we've seen we've seen a few people somewhat come out and either apologize or, or repudiate a little bit or whatever. But the vast majority are still, again, clinging to to these bad notions of prophecy to these bad notions of these conspiracies. And um, it's just depressing that we saw this coming 10 months ago. And, um, and yet now here we are and it could not, or at least it was not averted. Um, It's just hard to process. So (laughs) Casey, somebody else feel free to jump in, please. Yeah, when you say it out loud, it's almost you're like, for real? Like, all that really happened? Oh, yeah, it really happened. Uh, Josh, to your first question about how how we got here, um, you know, I think there's a lot of really simplified answers. Um, 
things like, you know, well, Christian nationalism is bad and, and it certainly is. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's just outrageous, but I, uh, and I'll, I'll plug this here shamelessly. I read a book recently that probably highlighted this better than anything I've read on the subject. And we've talked about it through text, the books, Jesus and John Wayne. And, uh, the the subtitle of the book is How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation. And the writer isn't a theologian. She's a historian. And she begins to chart the last 50, 60, 70 years of the this rise of this far extreme religious right movement. And there's actually, as crazy as this sounds, the way she uh, lays this out, and this book was obviously published before any of this happened uh, this past week. The way she lays it out, there's no, there's actually nothing that happened that isn't uh, that was like Maximus said that that's unpredictable. Um, she starts with you know the media, the immediate aftermath of World War II. Women had went to work when the soldiers returned. Um, they wanted the women to go home and cook and clean, have babies, and women didn't want to do that. And so the church lost its mind, right? This is demonically inspired. This is evil. This is vile. This is corrupt. At the same time, they were blaring the trumpet, blasting the trumpet against communism and calling communism the great Satan. And this is the thing that we have to be on guard against. This is the greatest demonic stronghold of our time. Oh, my God, church. Sounds familiar. Yeah, exactly. Now it's just socialism, right? Uh, or healthcare, or something of that of, of that nature. Um, this is this is the greatest enemy of our lifetime. You're not going to recognize America. Fight church, fight, pray, fast, do everything. And so the church does that. Then the civil rights movement happens with Dr. King. Um, and as crazy as it sounds, the religious right oppose that vehemently. Specifically, figures like Jerry Falwell, who condemned the civil rights movement, said it should be called the civil wrongs movement because it was just so inequitable and wrong. And this was um, this was transforming God's nation into something he had never intended for it to be. It, it, of course, it was about racism, but even deeper than that, it was about power. Of course. I think what we saw this week was people sensing their grip breaking off the lever of power and they went absolutely nuts. That's what I think it was at its core. And I could be wrong. Um, you know, Falwell famously had uh, Governor George Wallace, uh, the governor of Alabama in the 60s, come speak in his pulpit. The famous segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever speech. He had him preach in his pulpit. This was, this was a... Uh, you know, God, America is God's favorite nation on the planet. He has such a destiny for it. And these things are going to thwart that destiny. So it has to be fought against. They frame these culture wars as holy wars. You saw a Christian jihad this week, right? We are fighting for a particular way of life. And um, that, that, that is great for a certain segment of people. And it's absolutely horrendous for another segment of people. Then you have the hippie movement and the Nixon scandals, and the church repudiates that by voting for Jimmy Carter. But then Jimmy Carter was not this bad boy type uh, leader that they wanted. 
And so anytime, it's, it's interesting when the church begins to rally around leaders that have that braggadocious, hyper masculine version of leadership. Uh, that's that's not a good thing. Now, I don't think all masculinity is toxic, but when we of course. rally to that, that's when that resonates within us. And I, in her book, this is actually what she says, and, and I'm not on here to to you know call names necessarily, but in the book, this is what she says that Donald Trump is not the disease; he was the symptom. And I think that's right. He. His language, he gave language to what the Christian right had felt and thought for decades. And that is absolutely terrifying. When he would say things like, knock the hell out of those protesters, that's terrifying. When he would say things like, I could shoot somebody on Wall Street and I would not lose any voters, and they applaud, that's terrifying. And so he certainly, uh, he certainly, um, bears responsibility in his own way for this. But going back even preceding his presidency, this has been fomenting and churning within our evangelical movement for forever. And, and to Maximus's point, the charismatic church makes this uniquely problematic because not only is it just a cultural war that we frame as a holy war, we put thus saith the Lord on it. Now God has Spoken this to us. Now this is a divine mandate, right? It, we, we talked about it in text this morning, and, and Maximus made this point beautifully that, you know, uh, the Paul, before his Damascus Road experience, he had a particular eschatological vision that he fully intended on accomplishing by the sword. And that's what we've given the evangelical church over the last five, six decades. We've given them an eschatological vision for what America is. There are prophets still promulgating this, what America is and how America is so special in the eyes of God. And they're they're now trying to accomplish that through violence. And not only is the vision absurdly wrong, the violence is absurdly wrong. The vision that they have for America is so foolish, it borders on the miraculous. It is just so wrong. And I think that's how we got here. That's that's my brief, brief, super brief thoughts about this. Yeah, Casey, you mentioned kind of at the beginning of your statement there, you mentioned Christian nationalism, which has become, just frankly, it's become a trigger phrase for a lot of uh, Christians now. They don't like that phrase. They get angry about that phrase. And uh, I find it interesting because it's something that is very real. And like you said, we saw it on display on Wednesday uh, during the siege on the Capitol. Whenever you are literally storming the Capitol building and you are doing it with flags that say Jesus and you have crosses that you are planting, you have now attached the name of Jesus to your let's just call it what it was, a, a coup attempt. Um, and you have made Jesus part of that. And frankly, now to be clear, I believe that the attack on the Capitol was an attack on our very American way of life. That is the people's house. Uh, it is a signifier of our democratic republic, if there ever was one. And these people 
stormed that place with the and once again let's remember a lot of them or some of them at least had uh the zip tie cuffs they weren't right. taking zip tie cuffs in there just for show they obviously had an intention to try to take hostages period well i believe the zip tie the guy carrying the zip tie cuffs was a former air force uh, enlisted um, Air Force member of the Air Force was he not? He he might have been. I'm not sure. I know that the one individual who was shot and killed was, but there was more than one. I know former Air Force. Okay, member. No, I, I might I, be thinking. No, I, I I do think you're right. I do think you are right. Um, there was several people with zip ties though, and and the reality is is this is like when you attach the name of Jesus to this. That is really the more disgusting thing than even an attack on our democratic republic, because now it is an affront on Christianity because you are putting Christianity to your absolute lawlessness. And it is not only that, it is an affront to the cross. Uh, this entire perspective is a, it is an affront to the cross and is an affront to the teachings of Jesus. And it's just wrong. But, but once again, to, to even backtrack a little bit further, I, I, I think this is one of the root problems is this. And I know people would argue with us on this. And by the way, I want to make something abundantly clear right now. We are not in any way sitting here and saying if you voted for Donald Trump in 2020 or 2016, if you supported Donald Trump in 2016 or in 2020, you're an evil person, you're bad, da 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 da, da. That is not in any way the heart of this. There are people that I love deeply that were ardent supporters of Donald Trump in 2016 and in 2020. To be completely transparent, in both elections, I had extreme reservations about Trump, but also extreme reservations about Hillary uh, in 2016 and then about Biden in 2020. So you, if you're listening to this and you don't know any of the three of us personally, and and Maximus Reed, he already touched on this, but you're not talking to three people who are radical leftists. You're talking to two people that pastor a church uh, in the South, and then you are right. talking to Reed, or not, you're listening to us, not talking to us, and you're listening to Reed, who was also raised in the Deep South. You're talking to people, or you're listening to people that have voted for Republicans that, like Reed said, in some measure and in some way, would consider ourselves conservative Christians in some measure. We are not Marxist, leftist, liberals. But we, I think, all could probably agree on this point. Part of the issue of what happened that got us here over the past four or five years is I think somewhere along the line, we misplaced our trust. When I say we, I mean that royally as the church. And somewhere along the line, we misplaced our trust from placing it in Jesus to placing it in a political party and a man, and it took us down a wrong road. So then when said man lost in the election, it became this holy crusade, this holy war. I mean, and even still today, there are people that are still contending that he's going to be inaugurated, that all this is going to happen, da 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 so one person say who's going to be inaugurated in March. I heard one prophetic word from somebody who said, thus saith the Lord, he will be the 46th president of the United States, which doesn't make a lick of sense, because if he was inaugurated as president, he would still be the 45th president of the United States. But that's a whole other thing altogether. 
it would be great if we could just understand how this works, but that's a whole nother. Let, let me, let me add just a, yeah. a thought to that. I think you're right. I think that the part of us misplacing trust is, is for sure an issue. I think too, though, in some respects, I don't know that we've fully misplaced trust. Like this week, I don't, I don't see that as, I don't see that as no faith or misplaced faith. I think they have fully devoted faith to a deformed vision of Jesus in the kingdom. If, if your vision of Jesus in the kingdom permits the cross and the gallows to stand yep. together, it's good. Then you don't know anything about Jesus or his kingdom. And back to what both of us, all of us have really said, what's even more abhorrent is in the aftermath of that. I know countless preachers that haven't said a word. I know preachers that think what happened was a good thing, that it should be championed, that it was just patriots standing up for the kingdom of God and for the love of their country. And I cannot for the life of me wrap my mind around that. No, it's it's crazy. And once again, let's be clear, those gallows that the cross was beside were intended for Vice President Mike Pence. Because right. as they were storming the Capitol, they made it clear. This is not something that we are, are adding in as conjecture. They were literally chanting, hang Mike Pence, as they pushed their way into the Capitol. There is video of this that is available. You can go find it yourself. They're yelling, hang Mike Pence. Now, in 2016, I know a lot of Christians who said, I'm not really fond of Trump all that much, but I like Pence. He's a great Christian man. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of honor. And I'm not so much voting for the president as I am voting for the vice president. I'm sure you heard the same, Casey. Uh, did you hear similar? Absolutely. Okay. He was the uh, he was the justification. Right. He was the, the, the Christian that was helped us swallow all of the uncouth and untactful parts right. of Trump. And now four years later, we're supporting the people who were chanting, hang Mike Pence. And not only that, right. Christians are advocating he should go in front of a firing squad. I mean, I've seen prophets, quote unquote, openly advocate that the vice president should go to a military tribunal and then be shot. Why? Because they read something from QAnon. And folks, I mean, and I'm not being facetious here. That's what's so bizarre about that. None of this is a joke. This is reality. Of course, they've since deleted all those tweets. I kind of made a joke to my church. It might be because they're under investigation by the FBI now after Wednesday uh, for those kind of statements. I'm not saying they are. That's conjecture and partially a joke. But we're, we're in a place that's like... Like Maximus said, it's it's uncharted where we are. We've never been down this road before. It's really funny as as it was happening on on Wednesday. I was I was watching all of this unfold, and as I watched it, I was shocked. And at the same time, I went, "This makes complete and perfect sense." Yeah, absolutely, same. Th- this is shocking, but I'm not surprised. Like I never thought I would see this. But at the same time, I'm 
I knew we would see this with the way things have been going, with the way things have been escalating, with all of just everything was at such a place to where it could explode. And I'll just go ahead and say this, too. We've also, just as the church, in re- in relation to what happened on Wednesday, we have to stop the whataboutism. The whataboutism has to stop. People go, well, what about the, what about the, the, the burning of the cities in the summer? Yeah, that was terrible. And that should right. be condemned. And it pretty much was universally condemned by the That's church. Right. Uh, and that just frankly, there was much more universal condemnation of that than there has been of the attack on the Capitol. And I'm not saying, understand the way that I'm sitting here saying this, that that I'm not saying that uh, we have to pick one or the other. We shouldn't pick one or the other. We should condemn both. Violence should never be advocated for in the kingdom, period. We should not advocate promote, praise, or even say this, remain silent when violence becomes the answer that the church begins to bend to. That's right. So just to kind of keep going along along this line. So, and I know we're bouncing back and forth and that's okay. This is just the way we're going to communicate tonight and that's all well and good. So one big phrase that we've heard repeatedly in the aftermath of all of this is this, believe the prophets. Believe the prophets. And you're obviously talking to someone, I've been in the prophetic move since, around the prophetic move since I was two years old. I deeply, deeply love and respect the prophetic. I believe the prophetic needs to be active in the local church, and I believe we need to have people in our churches that are trained to hear the voice of the Lord and trained to prophesy. I believe that, you know, Paul tells us to covet to prophesy. I believe that we cannot understate the importance of the prophetic and its role. And we certainly, in the midst of this, don't need to just throw out prophetic ministry, throw out prophets and go, well, they missed it, so we're done. But where does this phrase, you know, believe the prophets? What do we do with that in the midst of everything that's going on? Maximus, you want to chime in here? I know I've been quiet, but um, but there was a mob outside the Capitol this week that set up gallows and crosses and a guillotine. And I think that has to be repeated over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Okay, you, you had said trust the prophets, but I, I wanted to say something about, um, uh, again, like there's so many different things here about a misunderstanding of American history, a misunderstanding of political terms and ideologies. I mean, conservatives like to claim to be nationalist, first of all. So depending upon which who you speak to, uh, being labeled a nationalist um, may be a good thing or a bad thing, depending upon the person's perspective. Um, but nationalism began in the French Revolution. It was a leftist ideology, and it was a it was a collectivist ideology to elevate the French people into solidarity against the church and against the nobility. Um, And Napoleon came in and really um, utilized that ideology to to do mass conscription for the first time in European history. Um, Led to all of this war, bloodshed, 
churches get ransacked, all sorts of stuff. I mean, nationalism began as a leftist ideology. It began as a collectivist ideology. And so uh, conservatives that want to claim to be nationalist don't know their history. Um, that's one thing. Uh, you had referenced a few minutes ago about um, stressing, you know, that we shouldn't be violent. Well, the problem is, is that the Bible's full of violence and people with a bad hermeneutic don't know how to parse that. And so when we and all of our churches recite all of the time that the kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force, to you and me, that may mean something, you know, more spiritual and allegorical. Of course. But this week showed us that lots of people, that's not what it means at all. To lots of people, what it means is that they need to go kill people. Um, and so we have a huge, diverse, um, multiple streams of how we got here. Bad understandings of American history. Bad understandings of political ideology and terms. Bad understandings of hermeneutics and scripture. Um, I mean, Casey was referencing um, the civil rights earlier. And, I mean, a lot of people think that where the religious rights sort of got its start was with Roe v. Wade. But that's historically not true. Evangelicals did not care about Roe v. Wade. The only real Christians that cared about Roe v. Wade at the time when it was passed was Catholics because Catholics had a certain view on conception and evangelicals and Protestants had a different view and they didn't really care. Um, what really started the religious right was precisely what Casey was uh, talking about. It was about civil rights. And um, there were a lot of Christian private universities that did not want blacks in their colleges. And so the federal government started saying that they needed blacks and the Christian colleges fought back and said, no, 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 no. We live in a federal, we live in a democratic republic. We believe in federalism. We believe in the 10th Amendment. We believe in states' rights. And so if our private institution and our state doesn't want to admit blacks into our uh, body of students, then that is our right. That argument is how the religious right started. It did not start with abortion. It started with racism, and it started with segregation and integration. And most of us don't know this stuff, and we need to know it. And we we need to know we need to know our own history, and none of us do. And um, people don't understand these psychological currents and philosophical currents that lead to things like the French Revolution, lead to things like the Italian fascist, lead to things like the communist, lead to things like the Nazis. People don't understand history. They don't understand um, political trends. They don't understand any of that. They don't care to understand it. And as a consequence, we just keep repeating these cycles. And we are in one of those cycles right now where we are in a moment to where um, we have this frightening prospect um, where a large group of people, who knows exactly how many, um, being reinforced as they are by all of these different things, such as that um, America is the new Israel, such as that um, 
if a prophet uh, prophesies something, it has to come to pass, um, such as that the kingdom suffers violence, such as that Donald Trump is Cyrus and he's ordained by God. Uh, all of these things individually may not add up to that much. But when you take each of these small pieces and you put them together and you put them together and you put them together, well, then eventually you're going to get to a situation to where a mob storms the Capitol and sets up gallows, guillotines, and crosses. And it is perhaps one of the most anti-Christ demonstrations that we have ever seen in our lives. That's right. Absolutely. And, and, and that moment alone still, it still did not wake people up. It, it woke a few people up. But by and large, again, we are still seeing this stuff perpetuate. And, um, and so when, when we talk about something like um, trust the prophets and everything, I, I don't even know how to make sense of that statement in this climate because the prophets have been wrong the entire time. I mean, we talked about this six months ago, but the prophets were saying the pandemic would be done you know, by Easter and Passover and by Pentecost and by such and such. And, and when, when they all got proven wrong, when they all got proven wrong, well, they didn't, they, they didn't pivot to saying that, oh, well, we were wrong. Instead, they just pivoted to saying, oh, well, the pandemic's fake. Everything's overblown. It's all leftist plot. Um, uh, and, and, and so, like, we, we are in a situation to where there are, uh, again, this group of people who apparently cannot be reasoned with. Um, you can't um, show them any evidence because the only evidence that they believe is evidence that they think is, you know, issued by either a prophet or by Trump. Or but even as we've seen, or they believe Facebook memes with really bad Photoshop. Yeah, just huge pixelation and terrible font and everything else. Um, and then what we see is, and we've seen this this week where some prophets might come out with a, a shred of integrity, not a lot, but a shred, and they'll put out a half-hearted apology, not nearly as strong as what they need to do, but they put out something and then they start getting death threats. And then all of the people that they have helped radicalize now we're calling for their death. Again, like, it's weird to even say that because th th this isn't normal. Uh, this is not normal. Right. It, we it, are having it, death threats called for people. Yeah, it, it bears mentioning what, what Reed's referencing is, I don't know, about half an hour, an hour before we started recording. This is Sunday night. One of the prophets that has been most vocal with his support of Trump and also feeling that the Lord told him Trump was going to win uh, re-election posted, uh, I, I don't know, what was it, two or three days ago had posted, uh, a, you know, uh, an apology, a you know, I repent for this. It was a long, long deal. And then just about 30 minutes before we started recording, he posted that he had been receiving death threats and emails literally threatening his family by people that have followed him. These people are supposed to be believers. And because he went, I missed it. Trump didn't win the election. Now 
he's getting death threats. People, we have gone so far overboard to where we're not even close to the ledge anymore. We've jumped off without any kind of harness in the name of believe the prophets. And prophets can miss it. They can miss it. And missing it doesn't inherently make you a false prophet uh, any more than hitting it makes you a true prophet. Because, uh, and I've, we've talked about this probably before, you know, Balaam never prophesied an inaccurate word in Scripture. And he's probably the most famous example of what is called a false prophet in the Bible. Balaam was not a false prophet because his word was inaccurate. He was a false prophet because the motivation of his heart was wrong. His motivation of his heart was political power and uh, political esteem, position, and money. And the issue is when that becomes the heart and motivation of, of the prophetic, political power, it perverts us and puts us in a place where we will miss it eventually. And I think that's what we've seen happen. So many people have missed it, or they've just done what, what they've done is they've, they've taken what they would de- desire and they've believed that they've heard, thus saith the Lord, with it. When it wasn't ever, thus saith the Lord, it was their own heart's desire. I know prophets, guys, and, and, and my dad has talked to prophets. And uh, actually, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have him on, and we're going to talk about prophetic accountability specifically. But he knows prophets that really felt in their hearts that the word of the Lord was that Biden was going to win the election. And the reason he was going to is because that the church had set Trump up as some form of an idol and that the Lord was going to remove him so that focus should shift could shift back on him. And most of those prophets were literally scared to release that word because of what could potentially happen, not just to their ministry, but what could happen to them physically if that type of word was released. We've gone so far over the ledge that we are now saying a, 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 an election that has been certified, because we all, we all heard it, right? It was going to happen on election night. Trump was going to win in a landslide, and then he didn't. And then it was, well, just wait till the recounts. The recounts are going to show that he won. Then it was, oh, wait till, uh, and the recounts didn't go in his favor. Then it was, well, wait till it gets to, you know, all these uh, local Supreme Courts, and that didn't work. Then it was, well, wait till it gets to the, to the Supreme Court. Amy Coney Barrett raised up for such a time as this. And the Supreme Court didn't hear it. And by the way, the way that I've interpreted it and the way that I've read legal scholars interpret it is that all nine justices of the Supreme Court said there is no case here. They did not give them, I've seen people go, they gave them instructions on how to refile. No, they did not. All nine justices felt that there wasn't uh, adequate uh, information or evidence to even hear the case. And by the way, I've heard people say, well, if they would have heard the case, that's not the way this works. Like, for people go, they didn't get to see any evidence. That's not the way the legal system works. There were briefs and all sorts of evidence uh, and arguments that were presented to the Supreme Court, and then they decide if they're going to hear the case or not. And they decided this isn't worth our time. And I think you had two, what was it? Was it Alito and Thomas who kind of wrote uh, something in there basically saying because of their view of the law that they should have heard it, but they also very made it very clear that they would not have ruled in favor. Is that a fair assessment of uh, 
of that whole dynamic, do you believe? Reed? Yeah, that, that's what I understand, yeah. And um, by the way, this isn't coming from a Facebook mean. I've actually read legal scholars who that's what they've interpreted all of this to mean. And then, you know, it got moved to, well, just wait until uh, the certification process. Mike Pence can reject electors. He can't. Constitutionally, he can't. It amazes me how many people that claim to love the Constitution have no clue what's inside of it. It's the same thing we heard earlier this year. You know, if Trump was impeached, the Constitution says he could run for a third term. No, it doesn't. Uh, right. And there's well, I mean, uh, for, let, let's pause there for a second. There's lots of people that don't think Trump was impeached. Oh, that's true. because they think impeachment means removal. Again, we are dealing with category errors so grotesque that that it, it is hard to even have a dialogue with people because people simply do not understand any of this. They do not understand the legal process. They do not understand the electoral process. They do not understand the constitution. They do not understand scripture. They do not understand social media technology. Uh, Again, like this is so, it, it is hard to know how to correct this because all of these people that are propagating all of this are entirely ignorant on all of these issues. They're ignorant on the Constitution as much as they are ignorant on the prophetic. I mean, they are ignorant on all of these categories. And and to and, be clear once and again, yet they keep going. And to be clear once again, this isn't about Trump so much as it is about us. This isn't about a political leader as much as it's about the way that we've responded to these situations as the church universal, especially the charismatic prophetic church. And we've just got to do better, family. We've got to do better. I I, I made this post the other day, um, and by the way, you'd be um, people. You'd be amazed at the amount of messages that I've received just in the past. You know, since Wednesday, once you're recording this on Sunday night, since Wednesday, the amount of messages I've received from people that are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s that have been like, thank you for saying something. Uh, thank you for for raising your voice and, and standing. I'm not trying to beat myself on the chest about this. I'm just saying that the reality is, is this. There is a generation that is absolutely done with this mess. They are done with the politicization of the church. They are done of this weird marriage between politics and the church, specifically between the Republican Party and the church. They are done with it. We have got to realize the American political system is not equal to the kingdom of God. If Trump would have won four years, excuse me, in November, the church would have continued on. Biden won, and guess what? The church will continue on. In four years, there will be another election. Someone will win, and the church will carry on. We do not rise and set based upon a presidential election. Certainly, you can have a preference. There is no doubt. We all have preferences. You can have the person you vote for. Go vote. Do all of that. That is good. Go for it. You have that uh, privilege and that right as an American citizen exercise it. Yes. Do not place your hope in it. And we have to stop buying into this ideology that if our guy doesn't win, then the church is going to crumble. 
the church survived through the Roman Empire. It survived through Nero. It will continue to survive through a Biden presidency and any other presidency that might be in the future. The church is not as fragile, and the plan of God is not as fragile as we want to make it out to be. Yeah. Um, when you were talking about the prophetic a few minutes ago, um, I mean, I think you know some podcast in the future would be good with you and your dad and stuff about prophetic protocol and correction and all of that. For but sure. the problem is on this situation though, we're not dealing with, you know, somebody that prophesied to somebody and it was just wrong or an error or didn't come to pass or, or whatever the case is. Um, we are talking about something foundational to our entire movement and our entire culture that is corrupt. Um, this is not something where a handful of people said something. This is something to where the um, prevailing narrative within our entire culture was that this marriage between the American state and our religious convictions <clears throat> to the point to where all of these Christian magazines, websites, personalities, people with hundreds of thousands of followers, people with millions of followers, that they are all trumpeting to the world that um, they speak for God and that God's man is Donald Trump and that he will win re-election. And he didn't win re-election. And so this is not just an issue of a couple people missing it. This is a huge foundational problem. And it would have been bad enough. It would have been bad enough if the first week of November after the election, everybody had to eat crow and just say, well, we missed it. We got it wrong. We have some soul searching to do to figure this out. That would have been bad enough just because everyone would have been wrong as we all knew that they would have been wrong. But that would have been, you know, a certain level of embarrassment for the prophetic church and everything else. But again, that's not what happened. Instead, what happened is, is because of their incorrect theology and, again, incorrect everything about politics and everything, that now they are forced to be in this position to where they have to self-fulfill this prophecy, no matter the cost. And so now that leads us to a situation to where people are ready to take up arms in a very literal sense and commit acts of violence um, to, to, to ensure that these false prophecies become true. And, and again, like th this is a huge foundational problem to our entire culture. It, it is not just the case of, of a few individuals that just happen to miss a prophetic word or, or to mishear God. This is something much deeper and, and, and much more problematic and, and much more foundational. Um, and then when you couple that with like a few minutes ago, you were talking about um, people can vote for whoever they want and stuff like that. And, and the problem is, is like even those sorts of normal categories are fading away. Like it's certainly the case that in a rigorous debate, um, some individuals can argue back and forth about the relative merits or disadvantages of, you know, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. And which, um, which candidate has a position on this about, you know, the economy or the war or not the war, but 
you know, foreign policy and war, or about healthcare, or about taxes, or all of these issues that are real important policy positions, which do in the past, they get, you know, debated out and, and people can make a decision of, of which candidate and which political party that they believe has the best vision to organize society and to organize the economy. Those categories no longer exist. That sort of um, conception no longer exists. Instead, what we have is we've got a group of people who, who don't want to discuss the advantages or disadvantages of Joe Biden's tax plan. Um, instead, what it is is that Joe Biden uh, rapes children, worships Satan, and that we have to do everything we can to get rid of him. Right. It's absolute um, extremism in every way. Exactly. I mean, it, it is in a very real non-hyperbolic non non sense, um, hyperbolic sense. God, I'm tired, guys. <laughs> you got to clean this up, Josh. Um, that it, it's basically the literal equivalent of, of ISIS. I mean, that's sort of where we're heading. And, and I, I don't mean to be inflammatory by making that comparison, but again, maybe a week ago, if somebody would have said that, that would have sounded a little bit extreme. No, I don't even, th I don't, I, I don't, I don't think so because I mean, I told you guys in a, in a text on January 5th, that evening, I don't know, 10 o'clock or something. We were talking in a text thread about the votes being certified on, on January 6th. And you both remember, I told you, I have a bad feeling that there's going to be violence and bloodshed tomorrow over all of this. Because uh, who could have known? Well, the, the, and the, the thing that is actually somewhat, even though I think we all had this anxiety that you know things were, were making their way to this point, um, I think it's one thing to sort of think, okay, well, there's going to be this mob there tomorrow, this mass of people, and in any sort of highly charged emotional political event like that, there's probably going to be an outbreak of chaos at some point. Um, that's one thing. And I mean, that happened. But I think it's another thing to then look and go, oh, God, like they brought supplies to build guillotines and gallows. Um, that's crazy. That That's that's bizarre and it's horrifying well, and we also haven't and, mentioned there was pipe bombs left at the rnc headquarters and the dnc headquarters and there was vans right. confiscated with molotov cocktails or uh, the vans weren't confiscated right con and, and, and i mean and oh, obviously I again this isn't even over we were talking about today and yesterday but there was um since apple and google and amazon were removing their support of parlor uh, there's all this discussion of these people on Parler to commit terrorist attacks against Amazon and Apple and Google. Uh, and, and so who knows what the next few weeks will hold. Um, and, I mean, ideally, we would all hope that this thing fizzles out tonight and then just sort of goes away. But can I, can it's I hard just, to say that with certainty. Can I interject for one second just with this? Christians, be careful in the midst of all of this. What? social media platforms you are signing up for. You can have your gripes about what um, Facebook and Twitter and all of those people are doing, and I think there's absolutely some valid discussions to be had there, not necessarily with First Amendment because those are private companies, 
but there are some other valid discussions to be had. But what we don't need is to rush to a bunch of platforms that are known for their anti-Semitism, for their uh, for their racism, for in some cases, and not in a hyperbolic sense, in a very real sense, having pedophilia that are on their platforms, and in a lot of cases, actually have links to actual terror attacks that have been perpetrated domestically in our nation, and we're hyping them up as the second coming of you know the greatest thing that's happened. Please be careful. Do a little bit of research. Think this thing through. Don't do things rashly. There's my PSA for you tonight. Um, I do think that, <clears throat> and, I mean, Casey mentioned that book earlier, and there are a variety of books, and um, um, historical notes that I think we all need to understand and learn about all of this. Like I said, we have to have understandings of American history and political philosophy and, and all of the stuff. All of the stuff is important. And the reason I think that that is important is because we did not get to last week quickly. It, it took a long time to get there. Right. And, and I don't think that we're going to leave it tomorrow. The stuff is going to take a while to purge these heretical and idolatrous strains from our culture. And um, thankfully there are uh, a few leaders that are standing up, you know, trying to do that. Obviously the two of you are two of them. Um, Josh, your dad would be another one. And, and there are a handful of others. And there's probably a lot that, like you said, um, inwardly have these similar convictions, but we're afraid of fear of man uh, about, you know, opposing the sort of storm that's been created. Um, but I see what, I think, see what you did there. <laughs> I think we do have to um, sort of, we just have to realize that we didn't get here overnight and we're not going to leave it overnight. Unfortunately, this is going to be a process and it has to be a, it has to be a brutally real and honest process to where, all of these leaders and in our church at large really has to look in the mirror and see where we've really, really, really gone off. Um, and we have left the reservation entirely. And there has to be a lot of purging of these bad ideas. Um, again, th this stuff has been bubbling up for a very long time, and it's sort of reached this crescendo, or at least I hope it's the crescendo. If this is a, the crescendo, I, I don't want to see what the crescendo is. I hope this is it. Right. Um, and and we just have to recognize that, and then we have to start processing how to how to walk away from this. And it's going to take time. And we just all have to know that it's going to take time. It can't be done overnight. Yeah, I mean, we need a purification. That's what I went back to. We really need purity to return to our move once again, and it to be purged of this political idolatry and some of these just bad ideas that are so prevalent. So Casey, I was going to, I kind of started going down this road earlier and kind of squirreled and went down a different road. But, you know, I, I really feel that a lot of millennials and Gen Z, we're, we're all just kind of over this mess that we've seen unfold over the past year specifically, but it goes back even further than that, which we've all detailed, but it's really just escalated to such a level 
in the past year or so. Obviously, you know, you have connections to a ministry that is very focused on reaching young people, the next generation. What are you seeing, hearing, feeling? What is the climate of, uh, you know, this generation in regards to everything that's going on right now? Yeah, great question. Um, as far as my interactions with uh, really college-age students, people in their early 20s, late teens, early 20s, um, there's a part of there's a part of them uh, that is that that's I don't know if it's just natural to them, if it's just the culture in which they were raised, or you know each generation kind of thinks a particular way. There's a part of them that I celebrate, and there's a part of them that concerns me. The part of them that I celebrate is that the the students that I'm around, my the students that I have, they uh, have innately within them a an incredible. I don't know. I guess the way we would say it would be an incredible Christian conscience. They are acutely aware and care about injustice of all kinds. Mm-hmm. Um, they have not, and and for whatever the case may be, I think this is to their credit, but it can also be uh, their Achilles heel a little bit. They they don't just believe something because somebody older than them appealed to authority or to experience. Yeah. Well, I'm older than you, and I've been around more, and I've seen this, and so this is just the way it is, and you have to believe me. They don't buy that, and I think that's wonderful. Um, I think there's been too much of that. I think that's kind of how we have deformed our Christianity so much, is we just make those kind of blanket statements, and, well, I'm 25 years older than you, and so I know, and you don't. Um, and so they have a they have a, a deep sense of justice about that. They do not swallow hook, line, and sinker their parents' politics by any stretch of the imagination. The flip side of that, at least the students that I've I've been around, is they struggle with um, allowing the scriptures to really inform them. Um, I do think, in some ways, their theological their theology can be too culturally conditioned. And they they untethered themselves from from biblical text completely, but hopefully that can be remedied. All of that to say, their initial visceral reaction to, for example, something we saw this week would be a deep disdain and repudiation for it, not on the grounds of America or love of country, but they just know that that's not right. And that is not Jesus' vision uh, for the kingdom. And so that gives me a lot of hope for them. Yeah, you, you touched on something interesting there. Because what we're seeing right now is a pendulum that's swung so far one way. I mean, so far one way that it's about to break the whole the whole system. But we all know historically that generally the response to a pendulum swing one way isn't to come back to balance. Right. Generally, the response is to pendulum swing the complete opposite direction. And right. that's just the pendulum swinging the opposite direction of where we're going now, where we are now, is just as bad and will end up with just as disastrous results. Like you were saying, if if we have a generation that because of our, uh, let's just call it what it is, our radicalism, and I don't mean the term radical in a good way, 
because right. of our extreme radicalism that that the response can be to a generation, like you said, to untether from Scripture, to abandon all the principles that they were raised in uh, and taught about, and that's not healthy either. That's right. It's just yeah, that's, that's not right. the healthy response. That's right, and that is how that is what makes, as far as my experience, that's what makes this generation so susceptible to, as you put it, extremism, be that on the right or on the left. And we have to let the scriptures come and chasten those passions. You know, I'll, I'll say it like this. Dr. Chris Green said this, and I think this is, this is perfectly said. Within this younger generation, we have primarily focused, the Pentecostal church is primarily focused on getting them to be passionate about God. Right. To be passionate about Jesus. And I th- obviously that's a, a worthwhile cause. I mean, that's what we've especially me and you when we were in our younger years, we gave our lives to that. I, I still get to to be a part in some of the student conferences and, and teach at the school and things of that nature. To, the goal is to get them to be passionate about Jesus. But passion for God in and of itself is not a good thing. All passion in and of itself does is it just releases our passions, but it doesn't sanctify them. It's good. And so I know students that are deeply passionate about all the wrong things, all of the things that will ultimately lead to destruction. And so the scriptures and sound theology has to come to bear to sanctify those passions, to guide those passions in the right way. We obviously don't need to strip them of that zeal, but it does need a governor. It does need some steering. Yeah. And uh, but their 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 fundamental sense of Christianity, for example, in my in my classes, if you start talking about if you even almost start talking about what it looks like to love your neighbor well and to be that loving, gracious, accepting church that Jesus calls us to be. Not that we're affirming every lifestyle that's out there. We're not doing that. Of course. But of course. the way people into the kingdom is invite them to a table and not just frighten them to an altar. Well, if you even begin to touch those topics, that generation comes alive because they have seen a very unloving um, gospel uh, preached about a God that is anything but good and a Jesus that is anything but accepting. So when you start framing the gospel in that way, they come alive. And that gives me great, great hope for them. Again, those passions have to be sanctified, but it's certainly there. Their Christian conscience has been has been deeply shaped and formed in them. And when they see, as you put it earlier, when they see an older generation, and, and me and you were talking about this the other night. I, I'm not here to rebuke the older generation by any stretch of the imagination. That's not my role. Of course. I don't consider myself, you know, a spiritual father to people or anything of that nature. I don't use that language. But I'm also not a child in ministry, right? I've been doing this over 20 years. You've been doing it since you've been alive. <laughs> um, we've, we've handled our share of challenging circumstances and ministry experiences and up and ups and downs. And what I would want to say, we're, we're in that weird middle place. We're not young, but we're not old either. Right. And I would want to say to the older generation, 
if you don't stop this, if you don't stop this insistence on this vision of the kingdom and this vision of God, you will lose them forever. They will become the exact polar opposite of everything that you are and everything that you represent. And there are things that you bring to the table that they desperately need. But if you don't stop this insistence on this perverted vision that we saw played out this past week, if you don't stop that, you're going to lose them, and they're going to throw everything away that they've learned from you, both good and bad. Well, well and this I, is this is what's going to happen. They're literally going to create their worst fear. That's right. Exactly. Because their worst yeah, fear is that generation going away, departing, becoming Marxist, communist, leftist, and that's bad, and that doesn't need to happen. But if, right. if they continue with this vision— that is exactly what will happen. And that's yeah. not good. It's not good. Right. The idea of believe this way, think this way, because I told you so. Well, what you're telling us to believe and think, and I'm not, I'm not again, I'm not laying this at the feet of the older generation. I'm, I'm not. I, I, everybody's got to hear that. Your father has been a sh- glaring example of, a fatherly generation that's been able to navigate this. And he's even uh, had to repudiate things that he's um, he's even had to repudiate elements of, of the Christian conservatism that he's embraced his entire life because even he's been able to see this is getting out of control and absurd and idolatrous. Yes. And if, if and, you don't know my dad and Casey, you made this comment earlier in a text, he's one of the most cautious and measured people you'll ever know in your life especially about public right. statements and stuff. And he's come out incredibly strong over the past week because how can we do anything but that? That's right. That's right. And if, and if we don't, if we don't just, if we don't break with the perversion of this, if, if a generation is not willing to say we were wrong here and here and here, then that generation will never believe you've been fully right there, there, and there. You got to be willing to own it. And I think we all play a part of it. There are things that I have preached before that now I see the seeds of that fomenting and how that has, has could potentially the, the consequences of those ideas. And I shudder to think, um, you know, it's like Reed said, this stuff isn't hyper, hyper, hyperbolic. This stuff is, this stuff is real. It works like leaven. And it gets down in their bones, and then it causes things like this to happen. I did want to um, <clears throat> jump in for a minute. That when Casey was talking about his students and about um, loving your neighbor and stuff like that, I do think that, um, as cliche as that may sound, I think that that is a a path forward out of this that that we have to stop demonizing everyone. We, we have got to, um, we, the American church has got to learn how to engage in a debate of ideas and principles without demonizing our enemy. And, and so the church has to learn that, uh, you know, if the Democrats have a different vision of 
again, like tax structures and healthcare and all of that stuff, we don't need to view them as evil, demon-possessed, Satanist pedophiles. Um, that's not how we need to view them at all. And, and it's also the case that even if um, these entities and these people and these organizations and these power structures that get perceived by many on the right as, as people that, that hate them. So, I mean, like a, a lot of Republicans and conservatives sort of have this conception that, um, you know, Hollywood elites and uh, liberal corporations and whatever, that they hate conservatives. Um, that may be true. That may be not true. But it doesn't matter what our response to that should be, which is that we do not demonize them and we do not treat them as an enemy. Um, and, and I think that that is a very key point that has to be emphasized, that that Joe Biden is not our enemy. That doesn't mean that Joe Biden is necessarily even good or that he's got the right vision of society or that he'll make the right policy decisions. He can he can get every single one of those things wrong, um, but that doesn't mean that we have a license to damn him and demonize him, because if you have the framework that all of the left or all of Hollywood or again like however your conception of the world is, if you think all of these people are bad, um, then they're evil. They're irredeemable. They're full of demons. And then when you couple that with <clears throat> the kingdom suffers violence, and when you couple that with, well, I heard a prophetic word, and so that has to come true, then 100% of people that have those ingredients together are not going to go kill some people. But a few might. And the rest even if they don't actively take up arms and do some sort of horrendous attack or something like that, they're still going to have um, problems in their heart. They're going to have hatred and bitterness and anger and, and all of these negative emotions. And, and we have to purge that from, from our ranks. We have to stop demonizing people. I don't care if they're a Marxist. I don't care what they are. We have to stop demonizing people. We have got to be able to sit at a table, have our convictions, have our principles, stand for our beliefs, but do it without condemning the other person. We have got to be able to do that. And right now at this moment, the church is not very good at doing that. Instead, what the church is good at doing is just simply condemning everyone around them that they perceive is an enemy. And we have got to stop. We have got to stop labeling everyone else an enemy. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been a good discussion, and we're kind of start wrapping up here. But obviously, this has also been a very dark discussion in many ways. We talked about conspiracy, I don't know, six months ago or whatever it was. And uh, it was actually somewhat amusing at, at points in time during that conversation because conspiracy can be somewhat amusing. 
until what happened on Wednesday happened. And then it's no longer really all that amusing because it literally incited a an insurrection that ended with real people really dying. And once again, they didn't even weren't able to even carry out the fullness of the plans that they had. And I, I am what I'm about to say, I am not saying lightly is something I've thought about deeply, something I've prayed about. And that is this. We as the American church have a degree of culpability in what happened on Wednesday. And I know that's strong, but I believe that we have a degree of culpability in what we saw unfold. That doesn't mean we're evil. doesn't mean we're bad. I don't even think that a lot of the voices that were really some of the ones pushing this ever thought this is what would happen. And I believe a lot of them were probably horrified as it unfolded before them. But we have a certain degree of culpability. Now, like I said, this has been heavy. On the other side, and y'all have already, both have already touched on this a little bit, but I, I do believe this. I, I said at the very beginning, the Lord, I believe, was exposing some of this. I'm not saying the Lord calls the raid on the Capitol or any of that. He didn't. But he has been, you know, what this has been so interesting to me. One of the biggest cries that has been made over the past six weeks, uh, 10 weeks, I guess, or however long it's been, yeah, 10 weeks, I guess, from church people and prophetic people has been, Lord, expose corruption. Lord, expose the corruption. What if, what if God is exposing the corruption within our own hearts, within our own ranks, and within our own systems? Because I believe the Lord is answering our prayers by holding up a mirror and making us look at ourselves and realize there's some corruption within us that we need to work through. There's corruption in our systems that we need to work through. There's corruption in our prophetic processes that we need to work through. People are going, Lord, why is not the Lord answered our prayers? I believe he is answering our prayers, just not in the way that we expected him to. Certainly right. not in the way we expected him to. And we're missing it just like an entire generation missed Jesus because it is not manifesting in the way that we want it to or we expected it to. So with that being said, what is, as we, we kind of wrap up, because I want to try to leave this thing on a hopeful note because the Lord exposes to bring purification and restoration because God's not done with the church. He still has a plan for us. We still have things to do, but we've got to heal first and we've got to fix ourselves. What is our road out of this? What does that look like? What are some good first steps that we can begin to take to begin to process out of this entire thing and reform ourselves, not in the image of, of America, but rather in the image of Christ. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I would actually have to think about that. I know we're all still processing what happened a few days ago. Um, I do think there is some validity to the notion that this uh, this entire election has broken the grip or at least tried to break the grip off of our our idolatrous view of American politics. Um, and I think we got to let that happen. You know, in, in 500 years from now, if America's not around, 
and there's a good chance America won't be around. You know what's going to happen to the church? Absolutely nothing. The church is going to be just fine. We are so self-centered. We are so self-absorbed. And we've talked about this before to the point that we think the book of Revelation is talking about American politics and the role of other countries as it relates specifically to America. We're so self-absorbed that we forget that we are the minority as far as Christians go worldwide. And we've got to break our grip off of that. We've got to repent of that. We've got to let that stuff has gotten so deep down into us that it's in our bones. It's in the marrow of who we are. And we just got to repent. I, I don't, I, again, I need to think through this. I need to think through how to answer this better. But I do see this. If people allow it, if we allow it, this will break our grip off of our idolatrous relationship with American politics, hopefully forever. I think one practical thing that people can participate in is is just to, to pause. And what I mean by that is social media platforms in the past several years have become weaponized. And through that process of being weaponized, people have become more divided. Um, and I think uh, as we're acutely aware of the proliferation of bad information and conspiracies and all of that, that um, just at a practical level, if you're on Twitter or Facebook or, or anything, any of these media platforms, um, when you see something in your timeline, don't share it. Don't comment on it. Just scroll past it. And what I mean by that is that the stuff that is sort of what we're talking about, like these calls of, of saying that um, the left is coming to throw you in concentration camps or that uh, the vice president is a deep state insider um, or that Donald Trump actually won the election. Like all of these things that, first of all, aren't true, but, but I mean, we're talking about people that don't realize that stuff isn't true. And so to those people, I would just say, just even if you think this stuff is true, just stop sharing it. Pause. Take a break. Um, doing that action alone might help. Um, we, we are just, again, and uh, I think it would be fair to say that all of us throughout this entire recording, um, have tried at times to conceptualize a thought and have had some difficulty doing that because again, we're in uncharted water and it's, again, it's just hard to process all of this, even though on one hand, none of this is necessarily shocking. We all saw this coming. Um, but again, now that we're here, there is something just, um, unsettling about that and, and, and just trying to process how we got here, which that's not too difficult. It's complicated and detailed understanding how we got here. So it's not like it's necessarily a mystery. Um, but 
<clears throat> how do we how do we deconstruct from where we are and how do we find the proper path? How do we find the narrow road? Um, that's that's a little bit more difficult to ascertain at the moment. Um, but I do think that we have hit on a few points tonight, some of those things. Um, and I think people just have to really, <clears throat> people have got to recover and rediscover just really the overwhelming love of God. Um, and the love of God is going to motivate you not to go up in the defense of the American state and try to expose electoral corruption and overthrow the electoral process. The love of God's not going to motivate you to do that. Something else is going to motivate you to do that. And so I, I think we, <clears throat> people really have to rediscover this, uh, the true heart of the gospel and the true heart of the gospel has absolutely nothing to do with America. Nothing. That's not a bad statement about America. Of course. I mean, there are good, certainly a lot of good things about America. Certainly a lot of good things about these principles of liberty. Um, all of us. Well, we, uh, we all have a certain level of affinity, all three of us, for our founders, for absolutely. our history. We've studied it deeply. We all, I think, could probably agree that, you know, the Constitution is probably one of the more brilliant, if not the most brilliant pieces of political structuring and literature that's ever been written. And I mean, it's not too bad. Uh, my, myself, I do prefer the Magna Carta, but hey, hey that's, that's a different debate. We can get into it at a different time. But, but God in um, the kingdom is bigger than any absolutely. of that. Absolutely. And and we, we we truly just have to re, rediscover the heart of the gospel. And the heart of the gospel has nothing to do with nationalism. It has nothing to do with patriotism. It has nothing to do with the country of your birth or the, um, the economic structure of the region you live in. Uh, it's not that these things aren't important. They are important. I'm not saying they're not important. Um, our economy is important. Our political power structures are important. These things are important. It's not that they're not important. But it is the case that um, <clears throat> I guess I would sort of conceptualize it like this, that that things that are good can become idols. And when they become an idol, then they become bad. Right. And so there are a lot of things in our American history and our American traditions and in our American way of life that are good, that are very good. Um, but the problem is, is that a large portion of our American Christian culture has elevated those things almost equally to God or that God is somehow intimately involved with with these notions that we have of our American culture. And, and when it gets so elevated to that level, well, well then you have an idol and it doesn't even matter if, if the idol originated as, as something noble and something good, it has become an idol. It has become corrupt. And, and I, I think that that's sort of where we are in this moment is that um, we have had this very long historical process to get us to the place where we are. 
And it is built up of a lot of these different pieces of the puzzle that a lot of these different pieces are, are truly objectively good things. But the problem is, is that we have taken those things and we have fashioned out of them our own idol. And we call that idol God, and we call that idol the church. And, and the end result has been what we've seen this year, where this, this end result is just widespread gross selfishness, that we only care about our way of life, and that um, we're willing to kill for our way of life. And I mean, I see people say stuff like that all the time. Like, are you willing to fight for our way of life? And, and that's, that sounds very American. I I mean, we, you know, we got Jeffersonian individualism and the founding fathers and, and all of these sorts of things that reinforce that idea. The problem is, is none of that is the gospel. It's not, there's nothing in the new Testament that says that when your way of life is threatened, you have to fight for it. I'm sorry, but that's not that's not that, that is not in the New Testament. No, it is very obvious. I mean, once again, they lived under Roman oppression. Their lives were their way of life and their literal lives were at stake every day. And you right. never see Peter, you never see Paul, you never see Timothy, you never see any New Testament figure say, "Guys, enough is enough." Now the right. swords come out. Exactly. And I mean, obviously that doesn't mean that, you know, we're advocating that people are just doormats and they just get run over by people and by, you know, governments or whatever. We're not sure. advocating that either. But we are just saying that, that these, or at least I'm saying that we've intermingled um, the message of, of Christ and the message of the gospel with these other things that again are arguably very good things, but they're they're good things that are in their own separate categories away from what the gospel is. And the problem is, is the American church no longer has them broken out into separate categories, but instead these American cultural ideals have become elevated to become synonymous with the gospel, and that is the deception. That is the heresy. That's the idolatry. And we have got to recognize that and we have to separate them. It doesn't mean that, again, these American cultural ideals are bad. It just means that they're not the gospel. And we have to stop conflating the two. They are categorically completely different. And we, we have got to deconstruct away from where we are to where all of this is intermingled. We've got to separate them. They are different things. And, and we, have to, we have to stop prophesying our American traditional cultural values out. That, that's, that's not what prophecy is for. That, that's not what our faith is for. That's right. Um, and we've got to divorce the two. Again, that's not saying that uh, <clears throat> America bad, liberty bad, capitalism bad. That is not what we're saying at all. No, not in the least bit. Um, but we are saying that capitalism isn't Christ. These are separate things, and and we have to divorce them from each other. The the purity of the gospel and the purity of Christ transcends economic systems and political systems, and and we have to do that. We have to recognize that, and we have to participate in that division. 
We can no longer afford to conflate these categories because the end result is what we saw last week. Absolutely. Yes, and amen to all of that. Let me just also add this in, kind of as we wrap here, and that is this. We know that a lot of these voices, and once again, to go back to this, we've been hearing, believe the prophets, believe the prophets, believe the prophets, and I'm prophetic to my bone. But they were wrong about the election. And if they were wrong about the election, what else have they been wrong about just over the course of this year? Maybe they've been wrong about the pandemic. As a matter of fact, they have been wrong about the pandemic. Maybe they're wrong about Dr. Fauci. Maybe they're wrong about all these other political figures that they have attempted to make villains. And maybe we should reevaluate not the prophetic gifting, but this expression of the prophetic gifting of villainizing people. That's not what the prophetic is for. And if that is the primary expression, we've went off course and we've lost our way. We've got to get back. Just just some basic Christianity. Let's love our neighbors. Let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. I didn't see peacemakers at the Capitol on Wednesday. I saw people who were zealots, who were lawless, who were breaking, literally breaking all sorts of laws, who were chanting, hang Mike Pence, who were threatening to kill reporters, and who did all sorts of heinous things. Heinous things while carrying Christian flags and crosses. This isn't good. This is not the road we need to be on, and we've got to pivot, and we've got to get off of it quickly, very quickly. I know it's going to be a process, and I agree it's going to take time. When I say we got to do it quickly, I mean we've got to start the turn very quickly, or else we're losing an entire generation. We ultimately will lose influence, and frankly, if oppression does come on the church— it will be because of the actions of radicals doing things like this, where we have literally set ourselves against people in a literal war, and we cannot be in this position. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. If you're concerned about a Joe Biden presidency, which I think you might have some very valid reasons to be concerned about a Joe Biden presidency, address it in prayer, not with gallows. We do not solve problems with gallows. We solve them with prayer and with seeking the Lord. And we've got to get back to these principles and not sway from them. Guys, y'all have anything you want to add in closing? Amen, brother. I agree with you, your closing statement there. All right, guys, thanks for coming on. This has been a great time, great discussion. Uh, I'm sure we will come back in a month or two and kind of expound on some of these things probably talk some more about some solutions and where we go forward from here and what we do because this is a conversation we're going to have to continue to having because once again we don't claim to have all the answers we're just kind of processing and unpacking all of this you know here on tape and and even over you know the past couple days as we've just been texting each other we don't claim to have all the answers but I hope just this session of us decompressing and talking about this has helped you in some way, enlightened you, informed you, and hopefully even given you some hope for the future. Because I still believe that God has a great plan for the church. I believe the church is going to accomplish it. I believe we're going to shake loose of some of this stuff. We're going to fulfill everything 
God has called us to fulfill. Thanks for coming on, guys. Appreciate y'all. Thank you for downloading today's episode of the Revolutionaries Podcast. Make sure you connect with Joshua on the social media platform of your choice. New episodes of the Revolutionaries Podcast release on Mondays. If you haven't already, subscribe so you never miss an episode.